Welcome to Right Face Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Brofer, a Marine Corps veteran and former combat correspondent. Basically, my job in the military was to share stories of service members and what they did in the military. Now I've made it my mission to share the stories of veterans who work in creative fields. Stay tuned as I introduce my next guest. My next guest is a Marine Corps veteran who served as a combat photographer, and now he runs his own photography studio in upstate New York. I also had the pleasure of serving with him many, many years ago. I'm so excited to introduce Michael Malinsky. Mike Malinsky, thank you so much for being on Right Face Podcast. It is so good to hear your voice again. How are you? Yeah, Jenny, thanks for having me on here. It's been a couple years since we uh, last saw each other in person, at least. Uh, I think the last time uh, we made contact, I was just crossing the finish line at the Marine Corps Marathon, and you uh, you just happened to show up out of nowhere and put a camera in my face. You're like, how do you feel? I'm like, <laughs> I feel like crap. That was a long time ago, Mike. That was more than a couple years ago. <laughs> that was like, I know. what year was that? Like 2007? <laughs> you, you nailed it yeah it was it was a uh, fall of 07 oh my god I think that's the year I think I ran the Marine Corps marathon that same year actually that was my first time ever running a marathon yeah this, it's a uh, it's quite an experience you know our buddy Isaac our mutual friend there had uh convinced me to come on out there he's like oh, I'd be great man just come on out you can stay at my place and uh, he's like here's a banana let's go run <laughs> I couldn't walk for a week after that because I didn't really train very well. I think the most mileage I had was six miles and I was doing like two PT runs in a row. And I was like, cool, I did six miles. I think I can run 26.2 miles now. I was yeah, sorely mistaken. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how far our mind can bring us when our bodies decide, decide they want to fail. Yeah, I had to drive home like six hours that day uh, at, right after the marathon. So it was, wasn't fun. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, we, yeah, we go way back. Uh, I mean, I've known you since what, 2002, I think basically since Emma West school, right? Yeah. We were both, well, like 18, 19 years old, just like fresh out of high school, joined the yep. Marines and yeah, like we, we know what we're going to do with our lives. We're going to, we're going to run this Marine Corps thing and be amazing, uh, motivators, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. And you were a combat photographer right? And I was a journalist. And I never really asked you at the time that we were serving together, why did you even join the Marine Corps in the first place? Yeah, so I would be like the last person you would ever expect to join the Marines when if you were like looking at me from a high school uh, perspective, I was the punk rock kid, I had six inch spiky hair, I had, <laughs> you know, zero gauge piercings in my ears. And you know, wallet chain down to my knees and those big fat Jinko jeans, you know, the end of the 90s era. Yeah, you know, so I wore those ourselves. too. I wore those in high school too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I really didn't have a plan with my future coming out of high school. And um, so one day a recruiter had just called me up and it's like, hey, you know, you're on our list here. Would you like to come in and talk about your future or whatever? And this was summertime, you know, just beginning of summer. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything else. I was literally sleeping when he called me. It was like nine o'clock in the morning and my parents had all gone to work and I'm just being a bum. And I, sh I showed up at, you know, two forty-five for my three o'clock appointment. He's like, Oh, 15 minutes early. You got hey. this. You're, you're, you're perfect. I was like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. But by the, by the time our conversation ended that evening, I just said, you know, sign me up. 
you know, I was into art and stuff. Um, most of my senior year was all art classes because I was just kind of coasting through. I had already done my prerequisites for New York State as far as what they uh, they had asked me to do. And, you know, the, the guy's like, well, here's this job for journalism. You know, it's, it's pretty artsy. You know, you can take photos for the newspaper and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, close enough. Let's sign me up and get me out of here. So my parents, I was I was only 17 at the time. Oh, wow. And this was just this was just a couple months prior to 9-11. So, you know, the whole oh. you know, the mindset of the country was was different right then. It you was know. different. Well, what, what, what did your parents think about you joining the Marine Corps? My dad was like, when can he leave? You know, because I was just a pain <laughs> in his ass the whole time being a teenager, you know, rebel. And my mom was just like kind of, you know, out of her skin, like, I don't want him to go and do this and do that. And, you know, again, this oh was before gosh. we were in a time of war. You know, now yep. we really don't even think about it. It's been 20 over 20 years later. And um, do we have the same parents? Because my dad was also like, yeah, go get some life experience. And my mom was like, no, I want you to go to college and I don't want you to join in the Marine Corps. And it's it's I mean, maybe we are actual brother and sister i'm just kidding brother from another mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah it was just like it was just, it was just such a different time it was just such a different time and i joined up because i just wanted to find i wanted to buy a time really honestly to find out what i could do with my life i didn't have a plan so i was like ah four years steady paycheck and then it was like, after I get out of the Marines, then I'll know what I want to do with my life. Because I, I really had no clue. It was just like, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And, you know, nothing's really changed since then. I kind of just make it up as I go along. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I joined up, did, did everything the way I was supposed to. Went through uh, boot camp, did those 12 weeks and, you know, infantry school and went did to you, MOS. Did you do, did you go to boot camp before or after 9-11? After, so I was delayed entry. Uh, I signed up in June or July, rather, of uh, 2001. Yeah, and then a couple months later, 9-11 happened and, you know, the world completely changed. And I talked to my recruiter and he's like, we still got a mission to do. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I know as much as you know, like nothing right now except for what we see on the media. And I went to boot camp in November that year. So oh, wow, it was still really, really fresh. So yeah, what was I, you that know, like what was that like? I mean, your mindset and your platoon. It was it was crazy. We had a lot of people who had joined up because of the the attacks again. Because I'm from upstate New York, I'm only two hours from New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, in in my platoon, we just had a, I, I would say half of them had enlisted right after nine eleven to get in, get in as soon as possible because of the terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just a really just, I feel like it was an added body experience because we really didn't know what was happening, but we all know we were a part of something special. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just, you know, just took it one day at a time. That must have been a really emotional experience. I can only imagine receiving the Eagle Globe and Anchor in a time of war when it's so fresh. I mean, we've literally been launched into war and here you are earning the title of Marine. And then what happened after that? And then, you know, in, in, in your mind's eye, it kind of plays out like the movie, you know, you, you go to boot camp and you do this and you, you go to war and you're a hero and all that stuff. And it was not exactly how uh, my life had ended up. So I just went through the, the training like I was supposed to. And when it came time to go into MOS school, like I said in the beginning, I was signed up to be a journalist. And I started going through that course 
and I could write a story, I could write a headline and all that, but my grammar was absolutely horrible. <laughs> like, you don't know grammar and we don't teach that here. What's a so, semicolon? How do you use a semicolon? <laughs> right. And, you know, my, my stuff was all over the place, you know, even though I could yeah. write an interesting story, but it just wasn't for them. So, you know, as the Marines would do, they're like, well, we'll just stick you wherever we need you. So that could be, you know, you could be a cook, you could be mowing your tea, wherever we're going to find you. But I believe in, in kind of leveraging my decisions one on top of another. So that way it'll always benefit me in the future. So while I, while I was going through the course, I learned of the graphic illustrators uh, program that they had there and me coming from a, an art background, like I was, you know, mm -hmm. I, I could paint, I could draw freehand, I could do all those, you know, traditional art, artsy type stuff. And I could design web. I was a web designer since I was like 13 years old. Smart. And so I wrote an article on their class, knowing in the back of my mind, is like, this is really what I want to do. So when I failed out, and um, the opportunity came up for a different MOS, I, you know, I talked to the our higher ups and I said, well, what about this, you know, graphic design program? And he's like, well, you got to be an artist and whatever and have a portfolio. So at the end of that day, I called back home to my, my mother and I said, grab all the artwork that's around the bedroom and under my bed and, and get it together and contact our old high school and find my art teacher where I had donated a ton of art to the school. I said, I need oh. all of that and I need it shipped overnight to Quantico. And they <laughs> did. They, they, they came together, put my portfolio wow. together. It was reviewed and approved to uh, to make that lateral movement into my MOS to uh, be a graphic illustrator. So, wow. Yeah, they, they, your, your parents really stepped up for you then. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was my mom. She's like, graphic illustrator? Yeah, he's not going to get shot at doing that. Like, I'll, do I'll do whatever I can. Yeah, I guess maybe there's a less likely of a chance of that happening. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I ended up going to Quantico doing some on the job training there. They just threw me right into the, you know, combat camera field until the school had opened up a spot for me. So I kind of bounced around for a bit. And then when it came time to get our duty station, you know, they say East coast, West coast or, or overseas. And the major, majority of the people who pick overseas will get it. Cause not a lot of people want to go there. I was like, yeah, I, I want to see the whole world. Like sign me up. That's what I'm here for. So I put right. overseas as my first choice, West Coast as my second, because I'm from the East Coast. And, you know, last place I wanted to be was East Coast. And first thing I got was uh, Paris Island. <laughs> oh, you just like won the lottery of <laughs> Marine Corps duty stations. Yeah. <sighs> so they sent me sent me back to our basic training spot to uh, to do PowerPoints and training aids for all the the new naive kids coming through. Make sure they learn their stuff. Now you uh, you were awarded Marine of the Year and CEO of the Year when you were at Paris Island. I mean, you won some awards. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your time at Paris Island and and how it kind of helped you move into the next phase of your life post Marine Corps. So we got to make the best of whatever situation we're given, even though it's not something that we've always wanted, right? So spending my time at um, the Recruit Depot. I was always told you're never going to get promoted. Your, your field is saturated. You know, nobody moves up. It's just like, you'll be a terminal Lance Corporal forever. <laughs> and I just said, bullshit. This is not going to be how it's going to happen. So the best way to get promoted when your field is uh, locked in like that is meritoriously. So you got to know your mm -hmm. stuff. 
nowadays they would call it like hacking the system or gaming the system but you know we <laughs> didn't we didn't have terms for that back in our day it was yeah. just called doing the work so yeah you, know, you earned it fair and square right so you know they you had to get tested on your marine corps knowledge and i had a book of facts of like 10,000 facts of the history of the marine corps and I memorized yes. it. I literally sat there and I read every question and answer and I memorized that thing so I could like if I closed my eyes, I could see the questions and answers in, in front of me. It's, um, you know, I, did I, that. Think I, I, I think I vaguely remember this book. I think did you show it to me at any point? I think you did. probably. Yeah, because I, mean, I remember going on a couple of boards myself and there was some weird fact and there was a quote and the quote was, who said this? And the quote is. The road to hell is paved with the uh, bones of second lieutenants who didn't listen, who failed to listen to their sergeants. Who said that? And I said, is it Chesty Pollard? He said, that's correct. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. I think I might have seen that in your book of facts. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise, how would I have known that? That was and that was handed down to me by. You know, some other senior enlisted who's like, this is like the secret mm -hmm. guide to all the knowledge. I was like, oh, you know, it was glowing as he handed oh. it over to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I did all the, the mental stuff I had to do, kept up with my my PFT. I never got 300 off the 299er a few times over. Ugh, the elusive one point, man. Killed you me. You piece of shit. I'm just I know. Kidding. <laughs> I'm just bury my no, face I in the sand. No, I remember you ran like an under 19 minute three miler. And I yeah. had never met, I don't think I'd ever met another person who I served with who had a faster runtime. Like you were like the fastest Marine I ever met. <laughs> yeah. Our, our PFT score, or for those not in, in the know is, uh, you have to have three mile runtime in under 18 minutes to get a perfect score on that. I was, I ran in 18.2, in 18.4, in 18.3. My yeah, gosh. the only time I ever run sub 18 was on a training run. I'm like, you son of a <laughs> like, 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 I know I can do it. I ran like a 1745, like my best ever. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't count. Um, So, yeah, you so, were I mean... motivated back then. You were like super like you were always really squared away. Your uniform was put together. You were good at your job. You had a lot of knowledge. And and I, I remember that about you. And I know that you know, I'm sure a lot of people told you like, oh, you should stay in, you know, did you hear that? Like, oh, you should stay in the Marine Corps. Yeah, that was, they were like, you're textbook Marine, you're going to be a lifer. We've got your whole career planned out. So yeah, mm -hmm. being a, being a busy Lance Corporal, I, I won like the Marine of the quarter and then I got Marine of the year at Paris Island. And then using that again, like I said, to leverage my career, I wanted to be a green belt martial arts instructor. And that's reserved for uh, NCOs, you know, corporals and above. So I put in these requests to all, to the CEO, to everybody, and just like begged them to let me in. It's like, I am, I'm the motivator. I'm that guy you want mm -hmm. leading the charge. So send me in there to get my ass handed to me. And I'm going to be the first, you know, Lance Corporal to have <laughs> my, my green belt martial arts instructor course, which is another MOS in itself. So mm -hmm. I was doing that and and doing it pretty well. You know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm, I'm a small guy. I'm five, six, 140 pounds, you know, soaking wet, but uh, right. tenacious and the bulldog, right? Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going through that course and I'm like three and a half weeks from graduation on this eight week course. And we're just about to, to sign up for this, um, 
this one section where you got to get pepper sprayed, like the OC spray right in the eyeballs. Yes. Yeah, yes. you gotta you hold your eyelids open with your fingers like the movie Clockwork yep. Orange, where they're wide open. They just spray you in the face. So we're about to go through all that. It's our last section before we get tested to get our, our you know certification, and then that's when you know uh, combat camera comes down to me and they say, "Hey, uh, Lance Corporal Malinsky, you got a you got a spot open for photographers back up at the Defense Information School. Do you do you want to go?" Oh. I'm like, "Hell yeah, I want to oh. go." Because, you know, when when I was doing the journalism stuff, even though I failed at the feature writing, I aced the photography part. Because, again, that's visual art. That's all me. So I'm like, yeah, send me. When do we go? They're like, in a couple of days. Oh, a couple of days. Man, I was like, the timing. No. I know. I'm like, but, but, sir, I'm, I'm going to be a Greenbelt martial arts instructor. I just did all of this work and everything I could to be the only Lance Corporal to have this billet. And they're like, I know. Tough decision, right? Oh, so, gosh. so yeah, I made the decision to go to photo school, but I didn't give up on my team. So yeah, I went through the OC spray voluntarily knowing I wasn't going to get certified at the end. Oh, and... no, I think I, now I think it was either me or I, or one of the other photographers in the PAO office that took photos of that event where you got sprayed. Right. I think I remember taking photos of that. Yeah, but you were like getting your face rinsed off with a hose because you had OC in your eyes. You look miserable. You look miserable. So the way I always explain that to people is like, imagine just dumping gasoline or kerosene all over your face for fun and lighting <laughs> it on fire and going, oh, man, this, this, this kind of stings a little bit. I need to douse this. And you find a bucket next to you and that bucket's filled with molten lava and you stick your face in it. That's what OC spray <laughs> oh feels God. like. And you did that knowing you would not be certified because you were leaving for photo school. Yeah, I was leaving a few <laughs> days later. I I knew like because you know you build camaraderie. That's the whole thing about being in the yeah. military. And these people, these men and women that I was serving with, I didn't want to leave them behind. We had our own tactics. We had our own camaraderie, and I just wanted them to know that I was there with them for yeah. whatever the outcome is going to be. So, you know, I think I earned the respect to do that. Yeah, no, I think you definitely did. It takes a lot of cojones to do that. You could have easily skipped out and said, hey, I'm out. Peace. I'm going to go to photo school now. But you didn't. And so I think you, you know, you proved what a badass you are. (laughs) Yeah. Or how dumb I am. You know, Marines aren't uh, exactly known for their intelligence. Right. Uh... That's true. (laughs) I I did volunteer to get tasered once uh, by some Marines who were doing some taser training. And they were like, do you want to get tased? I said, yeah, bro. And I got tased and I filmed it. I filmed it and it's on YouTube. (laughs) See, that's like when you just said, I'm like, I want to get tased too. Where do I sign up? I know. Doesn't it sound fun? It's like the longest five seconds of your life, Mike. It's the longest five seconds of your life. All right. Well, when next time we meet up, I'll bring my my bear spray. (laughs) And then you can bring a taser and we'll just shoot at each other and we'll get it on uh, yeah. YouTube. I'll send you the link. I'll maybe post the link so people can watch me getting tased. And maybe you can find a photo of yourself getting OC sprayed or something. I, I can <laughs> dig one up. It's it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. So you go to photo school. You're at the Defense Information School, a.k.a. DINFOS. And yep. then what happens? And then uh, I'm the only Marine in the photographer's course. There's a bunch of Navy, a bunch of Army, and a handful of uh, Air Force personnel. 
So yeah, of course I get labeled the Nazi Hitler, just like ruthless whoa, dude. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? Why? Yeah. Why would they call you that? Why? Because I'm the young, motivated, you know, Marine guy, jarhead, like you know, high and tight haircut who doesn't take shit from anybody. And yeah, they were just like, "This guy wow. is out of his mind," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm just me." But um, I would yeah. maybe call you a perfectionist. I would never ever call you a Nazi or Hitler. First yeah, of all. no, I was getting I was getting all that kind of hate. And oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I was I was the second highest rank, so I was I was only I was an E three, and there was a uh, a staff sergeant in the Air Force reservist who was there, who was our class leader, and while the you know the course is is going on. There's a meritorious uh, corporal board happening down at Paris Island, so my my unit sends my book up in in lieu of me actually being there in person, and my book actually wins out amongst the other Marines who were there competing, and and Ooh. doing everything. So I was like, oh hell yeah, the stuff. Okay, this... shit hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me get my ego a little bit bigger, be a bit more of an <laughs> asshole to all these younger guys, but uh. But yeah. you're leading by example. I mean, if they really looked at beyond their ego, they would see like, okay, you're leading by example. You you look the part. You know the customs and courtesies. Your uniform looks good, and you know what you're talking about. So I think that was pretty much ego at stake there. Yeah, it's definitely. I definitely could have used a little more tact then, because um, I just didn't know any better. Because <laughs> like I was exactly your sentiment, like leading by examples. Like this is how it's supposed to be done. Fuck everybody else. I'm gonna do what I need to do to be the best and didn't give me a lot of friends, honestly, but the few that I do have, you know, you, Isaac, and a handful of others, you know, I can count my really close friends on a couple of hands from yeah. the Marines. But yeah, so I, I ended up winning that board and our, um, the Colonel from Paris Island came on up to, to promote me and all that. So that was a pretty big deal. And then wow. boom, I'm not commissioned officer now. So back in, back in school, um, just, you know, we're shooting film at this time. It's, it's still early 2000s, um, 2002, 2003 time. You know, we're shooting a roll of film a day. Got to develop it. Got to process the pictures. Got to oh, do every assignment every single that's day. Right. Yeah. It's like if you could imagine, you know, a four-year degree of college equivalency, like crammed into four, four and a half months, that's what it was. And you didn't really have digital SLRs back then, right? And you had to develop your own film? The core, you know, the, well, the military, you know, the army, everybody, they all had them, but it, they were Nikons. They were shooting four megapixels, if that, on JPEGs, oh, like, like nothing. Like it was just like when you got to your duty station, you were you were issued a DSLR that looked like garbage. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I'm I'm doing doing my thing in, in school, and then I go home on on leave, and it's it's winter in upstate here in New York, and I go to a. a hard rock or you know metal kind of punk show and i'm bouncing around in the mosh pit and just <laughs> i'm just having fun and then i lose my like balance i go head literally head over heels i put my right arm down to, to stop my fall and my arm is locked out straight when i hit the ground <gasps> so my entire body weight force shoots through my elbow and oh. pops it out and when i stand up um, my arm is hanging at a negative 90 degree angle, like completely backwards oh. from what it's supposed to oh be. My God. Yeah. So ouch, what a visual that that happened. I didn't really feel it at the time and I didn't know what to kind of do because, you know, you're in shock. 
And then as I'm standing there, it reset on its own. So all the ligaments were holding tight and it pulled it back into place with a loud pop and like a sound like a carrot snapping. Oh my God. And then that's when like the pain set. I was like, oh my God, like get me out of here. And you know, the people who were in the, in the mosh pit knew something bad had happened. So they, they just picked me up and walked me off to the side and stuff. And everybody was very, you know, polite, you know, contrary to popular belief about everything happening. And I had some friends there who were with me and they, they drove me to the ER and sure enough, I ended up going back to the Dimfos in a cast. My right arm is now locked in a giant thing of plaster and oh, I'm only I'm only halfway through the course now. So, you know. How can you take photos with your arm in a cast? Right, exactly. How do you do that? And they're like, well, <laughs> we have this thing. It's called the, uh, a pressure release or a thumb thumb trigger. So it would screw on to the shutter on the camera it was a plunger, essentially. It was maybe two feet long and a steel cable. So I would have to hold the camera with my left hand and, and focus it with my index finger while supporting everything up to my eye. And then I would use my right hand to hit the, to press the plunger to hit the shutter. And that's how I ended up taking my photos for the next month. Oh, my God. Were they any good or... <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they yeah they they turned out like I was again. I wasn't gonna be be deterred because they gave me this. This was a gift, right? Being being sent to the photo school was was a gift, and I didn't want to lose that opportunity again. It, could, it was another one of those points in my career where I could have just like thrown in the towel and said, "All right, well, this is the hand I was dealt." But in my mindset, it was like, "Absolutely not. I'm gonna continue on and just do the best that I can, and then we'll see what happens." Right? You can't just like. I, I don't believe in giving up at any point. Uh, long story short, I, I get out of the cast and um, I still can't move my arm. My my tendons are all healed tight. So the, the PT has me walking around with a three pound weight all day long trying to stretch my arm back out. And so now people are like, oh, big bad Marine carrying out three pounds. Like I could curl, oh I could curl that with my pinky, you know? <laughs> so I got, I got, you know, razz for a bit, but um I let I let the I let my scores speak for themselves, and I was the distinguished honor graduate from the course. Hell yeah! Yep. I love that using that like negative energy to fuel you into proving them all wrong. Yeah, so that that was that. that. So I went back to PI. Now I had two MOSs. I was a photographer and graphic designer, and an NCO. So like so much had changed in a matter of months, and they made me the NCOIC of the graphic illustrator part of PI, and then when you know, higher ups, when people, when, you know, the generals would come in or foreign dignitaries and, you know, senators, stuff like that. And they needed to attach a senior Marine to follow them around for the grip and grins, as we like to call them, you know, they yep, would send me, yep. they would send me out on that stuff. And I, I would fill in around the photography uh, missions as needed. And then that year is, you know, the NCO board. So I got NCO with a quarter and then miraculously somehow a sergeant board came up. And I competed on that board and won that board at PI. And I didn't even actually think about this till recently when I knew we were going to have this conversation. I never even went through the corporal's course, like the leadership course. Oh, you did it. Oh. I bypassed. I went from corporal to sergeant in nine months. Oh, my God. You, By the way, you would have loved the corporal school. 
at, at uh, MCAS Beaufort, it was a good time. We actually did paintball for one day. Like we did some warrior games and you would have been like a badass in corporal school, but Hey, you didn't, you know, you ended up, you know, doing a different way and that's cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, my path let, let itself out before me. Cause I'm, like I said, I was just, I, yeah. I don't have a plan. I kind of just take it as it comes. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, I said <laughs> me being, you know, uh, a knucklehead i sent out this email the day after i got pinned on sergeant and i know you're on this list because so everybody was that we went to school <laughs> with and i was like yep. two years six months and like you know like 30 days or whatever in time enlistment yep. and sergeant now what up bitch or something like something so <laughs> stupid like yeah pretty yeah. much to like all my haters you said it couldn't be done you know fuck you that's pretty much the email i think i remember that yeah yeah and oh man did i get some hate from everybody which i well deserved and then the the staff ncos found out about it and just they you know they took me out to the woodshed like you fucking idiot like don't <laughs> act like that so yeah i got i got put you know put in my place real quick after that email Boom. but um yeah, so oh, Mike. that that was my career pretty much, and then my four years came to an end, and the Marines were like, "What? You're you're not reenlisting?" I was like, "No, nah, yeah, man." Yeah, well, why did you decide to get out? Why did you decide to get out? Uh, I had some personal stuff going on at home. I had one of those stupid, uh, you know, Lance Corporal marriages that didn't work out, and mm. just you know, I my head wasn't in it anymore, and I just wanted to go home to where my family was at. You know, my mindset then was like, yeah, there. I've been around the whole East Coast. There's people, houses, trees, cars, whatever. But home is where my family's at, and that's what mattered to me. So mm. I was like, yeah. And I, I said nothing against the Marine Corps. Like, I loved it. Uh, if you can't tell from, like, my enthusiasm, like, it was, like, one of the best years of my life. So I have nothing against what the Marines had done. If, uh, if anything, I'm forever grateful for what they instilled in me. But it was just time for something new, something different. Mm-hmm. Now you did go on to start your own photography business, but before that you were an apprentice for a photographer, correct? I was. Yeah. So I, I moved back home and again, just now trying to find my way in the world. Um, I'm in, I'm from a small town. There's not a lot of people. So being a military veteran, I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to get it hired anywhere. People love military and people love Marines even more. So, you know, I sent out my portfolio and resume to newspapers and magazines and, you know, I, and other photographers, like I just wasn't getting any callbacks or emails or anything. This is uh, late 2005. So as luck would have it, my, my mother's boss, my mom's in real estate. So my mother's boss has a neighbor who's a, a commercial photographer, really high end photographer guy who, who has a weekend home, home up where we live, but he's from New York City. And they were having dinner or a summer barbecue or something. And she's like, oh, yeah, Mikey, my this person's son, you know, <laughs> he needs a job and whatever. Yeah. So he just reached out. We had a little interview and uh, he took me on as his apprentice. And it was some of the best uh, f- photography experiences of my life. He uh, so he paid my my full travel expenses to go to New York City. So it was a two hour train ride every day there and back. Whoa. Yeah. So I was working uh, six and a half, seven hours a day. So it wasn't a full eight hour day, but still having at four hours of train travel. Uh, it was a half hour walk from the train station to his studio. And then I had a half hour drive from the train station to my, my parents' house. So it was a, oh a lot of travel. But, you know, we went all over the states. We shot 
for Reebok, Adidas, uh, Newsweek magazine. You know, I got to meet uh, pro oh, NBA wow. players. We were flown all over the country for some big photo shoots. You know, I stayed in L.A. for a bit. Uh, one great story is we, we went to uh, L.A. for this Adidas shoot, uh, the shoe campaign, and one of the athletes had uh, like a contractor like blow up some plumbing in his kitchen when he was getting a remodel done. So Adidas thought it was cheap. Well, they calculated this. So it was cheaper to keep us in LA for a week than it would be to fly us home and then flies back a week later. So oh. we, I stayed on the Sunset Boulevard at the Mondrian Hotel, like, oh. and I was getting a per diem every day, meals paid, all that for a full week because somebody screwed something up at a at a client's house. So I'm like, hell yeah. Wow. This is amazing. That's like an all-expenses-paid vacation. It exactly was. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. And uh, the World Cup was happening at the time. And my mentor, he's from London. So he was all, he's like, Michael, the World Cup. Like, we, So we just go out to the bar and watch the games <laughs> and stuff. And uh, he's a great guy. His name is Nitin Vaducal. And unfortunately, he passed away oh. a couple of years ago from cancer oh, but uh he that's sad yeah he's he's he was more than a mentor he was actually like a, a great friend and he taught me so many things about the photo industry and, and fine art and commercial photography and all that so after a, a couple of years working working for him you know it was time to move on and i ended up um, meeting my wife and i was freelancing on the side and when we got married, we used our wedding gift money to to finance having a, a full time, you know, brick and mortar studio in 2009. Wow. And what's the name of your studio? Molinsky Photography. It's very unique. Molinsky Photography. <laughs> I, no, I mean, it's great. Yeah. That's, you started your own brick and mortar business. I did. Yep. And, you know, the hardest part with that. When I when I got started out is uh you know finding the clients being in a small town it's like you kind of got to be a generalist at a lot of things and a main source of income and low barrier to entry is wedding photography so I would go to a couple um, bridal expos and that's a it's an event where um, engaged couples will go to and they'll they'll meet with DJs florists you know bakers for cakes and photographers and anything that has to do with planning a wedding they'll go there and you know they'll mm -hmm. meet a bunch of vendors and you know i didn't know anything at the time because the only thing i knew was taking photos and that was military stuff so i, I had yeah. my military portfolio and some couple of freelance you know headshots i'd done on the side i'm like i would have to convince these brides like look i know how to take a photo i know how to work under pressure <laughs> yeah. right there's, there's no like once that bullet goes down range there's no taking it back you know that's the mentality that the marine mm -hmm. corps instills in us so once I could convince them that I, I could do do the work and, and hire me for their wedding just to give me a chance, it just snowballed from there. You know, we were just like quadrupling our business every year for the first five years. And um, it was just it was an amazing experience. Yeah, you guys were blowing up. I remember because I followed your page on Facebook. I saw your website. I mean, you were shooting a lot of weddings. You were very prolific in that space. Yeah, at my at my highest point, we were doing 55, 60 weddings a year. I had a couple assistant photographers. I was sending them out on on gigs and having them do weddings and bringing everything back to the studio. I had a, a full time editor, and it was you know it's my wife and I it was our only source of income. And then you know everything was going great until it wasn't. Oh, what happened? Yeah, so um, along the time that we were building up our our photography business. You know, we, my wife and I, we had a daughter and she was getting a little bit older and 
we were living in the small city that we were at just a couple blocks away from our studio and we decided we wanted to have a country space you know some, something quiet because where we were at you could look down one block and see like mansions and the influx and the gentrification happening and then if you look down the other direction there's drug deals happening and, and nonsense mm. like that so we moved we put in an offer on a house out in the country it got accepted and you know just being a, a solo entrepreneur and just photography is the only thing I know so I don't have a retirement plan I don't have a lot of that other stuff set up that you would typically get with a real job <laughs> quote real job mm -hmm. right? <laughs> right and um so I'm, so yep. I'm like real estate's gonna be my retirement so you know leveraging again this is a key focus here for me is leveraging you know this house that my wife and I we'd bought together we're gonna rent it out to somebody from New York City because this gentrification thing's happening and it, it as it turned out we could have somebody renting our old house for the amount of money what our new house's mortgage was going to be with our like taxes and everything. Mm. So like we we're going to be upgrading and not being out of pocket anything else. And we're investing, you know, into the equity of the old house and the new house. And like this is like everything's working out perfectly. This is exactly how I want my life to be. Oh. Yep. Three weeks before that tenant is supposed to come in somebody had broken into the house next door to mine um in our, our old house and started a fire and so i'm i'm sleeping uh my phone my phone's going off at like one in the morning and it's my brother who's the deputy sheriff up here and he's like wake the fuck up your house is on fire I'm like you're kidding me right he's like no he's like get your ass over here now so you know i just throw on some clothes i, I drive in there and i just I remember the street being blocked off and I could see like the red and blue and everything flashing off the houses down the block. I run down there, I find my brother. And we're just standing there looking and I see the fight, you know, the fire trucks are there They're putting water on my neighbor's house and then my house and then my neighbor's house and back on my house. And I just look at him I'm like, hell, at least those flowers are getting watered, you know, because we had just planted flowers in the front garden oh. for the new tenants. And oh my God. yeah, so that happened and looking back, you know, I wasn't like so, so upset about it because, you know, there's insurance. That's, that's why they invented insurance for, right? When things like this happen. Uh, yeah. yeah, dummy me, when we moved and we had everything being, you know, mail forwarding and this and that, and I'm trying to manage a bunch of things. I missed my mortgage or I missed my insurance payment. It was like, tw it was $26 oh. and changed. And the insurance oh. company's like, oh yeah, we canceled your insurance a month before that fire happened. So you're out of luck. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God, that's the first. Yep. Oh, so they canceled your insurance yeah, a month before the fire. Yeah, yeah. New York State's like, oh well, you can you can fight them, but you can only go back like two oh, weeks for a claim God. or something. And so now I'm just like so devastated. And you have a wife. Well, I'm like, right, well, the guy and who and a small child at this time, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my daughter. She's uh she's three years old at the time, and. The person who owned the house next to us that caught fire is like a multimillionaire investor who owns like a hundred properties in the Ooh. town we're at. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna go after this guy because you know, as as logic would tell you, fire started on their property. They're liable for my damages. Mm. Just so happens this, this guy got rich by being, you know, a total a-hole and a just snake. mowing people over. And he he's a he's a lawyer and he's got every other you know from a huge corporation and just has. A, you know, it's just a nightmare for me. He just knows how to um, steamroll anybody in his way. And that's what happened to me. So we ended up losing 
you know, all of her life savings going into tens of thousand dollars oh, of debt God. over the next couple of years. And, uh, the, oh yeah. Did I mention that the day after the fire happened, my wife and I, we had a doctor's appointment. We found out we were expecting our second <gasps> oh, child. Oh, what a blessing and a silver lining, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah. more pressure yeah. to add to the family. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Because it's the yin and yang of the universe is coming at me in a matter of like 10 hours. It's like you're happy, but you're sad. So, and you like, what is going through your head? I can't imagine. Yeah. The only way I could handle it is just by putting on a positive attitude, even if it was like fake at times, because I know it was, you know, I just complaining wasn't going to do anything. And I didn't want to have a pity party mm. for me, you know, so I just try to find the brightest part of each day and just keep going through. And and we did, you know, we, we ended up getting getting out of it. We we fought the good fight against the guy, uh, lost that, put all of our savings. We borrowed from friends and family to get the house rebuilt and put on the market. We sold it, not for everything that we put into it. So then there's, you know, there's defaulting on credit cards and, and a whole bunch of other headaches that come along the way. And all this time, I'm trying to, like, keep the business going, you know. It's... uh. You know, weddings is our number one source of income and it's you know people are like they they can't know right i had to hide a lot of the turmoil and the struggles i was going through because mm -hmm. i couldn't i couldn't vent to anybody about it i couldn't express myself it's like who wants to get a wedding photographed by a guy who's depressed who's anxious who's who's going through all these struggles right. it's like I, I wouldn't you know i even myself like i would judge myself like i would say you know i don't deserve to have all this other stuff going on for me because it's my fault that things got screwed up. I missed the payment. I'm a loser. I'm a horrible father. It was very, very hard for me. It was a, you know, a big struggle that I went through. It lasted for a couple of years. That's rough. What, what, what it year wasn't was the even, fire? Uh, it happened September 30th, 2014. Oh, 2014. Okay. So then in the years since yep. then, how, how have you guys been able to rebuild and recover from that? So we just, we did everything we could right to to get the house going and um and just sell it and that that didn't end up working out and then as things are going on with the studio it's like we're taking money um from the studio that we could be using for advertising and, and keeping the website going and, and all that so we ended up laying off our our editor and you know ended up working more hours ourselves um it was getting harder to to do the bridal expos and to advertise more and we were just trying to rely on word of mouth and this, this downward spiral started to happen where, you know, we were getting less weddings. We weren't doing 50 or 60. We were doing 40 and then 30. And it's like, holy mm. shit, where's our money coming from? So now we don't have money coming in from the business and we can't put it into the house. And it's just like a nightmare for me. And I remember, you know, and this is like a long process. It's not like weeks or whatever. This is stretched out over a couple of years. And I just remember with like my son, you know, in his first year, I'm driving down the road and I'm like, oh shit, maybe I could just like swerve my car into this guardrail and smash myself up some, you know? It's rough. Yeah, it's like, it's like maybe, you know, I'll be disabled. It's like, I won't go fast enough to kill myself, but I'll fuck myself up enough where I don't have to worry about all these other issues anymore. I can just like live whatever life. It was such a stupid thought that went through my head. And, um, but thank goodness it was only fleeting, you know? And I don't really talk about it that much to uh, the close friends or any, or even my family. Like my parents don't even know about this story. Yeah. Just you know, I'm, I'm scared to tell them and, you know, I don't want them to worry. 
but it was it is something that happened and not everybody has um has it be such like a, a quick thought mm -hmm. you know it's luckily it, it was in and out and it was gone in just a matter of seconds and and i don't think there's enough um awareness for mental health for like even entrepreneurs like luckily i'm a veteran and i was able to step back and and then and fall back on the va and start talking to somebody about that and then the guy you know i was talking to was like dude you have ptsd like you didn't get it from a war zone and getting shot at you got it from your house burning up and then not knowing where your next meal is going to come from or whether you can you can afford diapers for your yeah. kid it's like it found it found you anyways you bring up a really good point and that a lot of veterans go, well, a lot of people in general go through, um, you know, mental health struggles. And, and I, I mean, you can probably touch on this and how important your support network is and getting you out of that and reaching out for help when you need help, you know, versus like, you know, living in that mindset of, you know, there's no way out. So like, how did you, I guess, climb out of that? A, a lot of it has to do with my wife. I mean, she's, she's there for me and she's a she's the biggest part of, of my life aside from my kids and you know she's there to remind me like hey we have two beautiful kids they're healthy they're happy you know don't be stupid you know it's like what good is life going to do you in a wheelchair like who cares about the house it's a it's a tangible item like it doesn't mean anything you know fam family is what matters friendship is what matters because mm. you know anything could happen to the material or the money or, or whatever it can be like I, I know from experience it could be gone and what's left is uh what really matters and thank goodness she's there for me to remind me to pull me back and let me know these things remind myself of these things and to not beat myself up about what had happened because one of the things like I try to like uh, when I, I actually mentor young kids through my studio who, you know, kids who are in freshmen in high school and all up to seniors and occasionally we'll get some college interns to come through our doors. And I always tell them, it's like, it's not how you act when everything's going right. It's how you're, it's how you react when everything goes wrong. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's like, duh, listen to your own advice. That so yeah, I could only just react in like a, a, a positive way and not let the stresses of everything, you know, get to me. No, I think that's really important. And, you know, I, like we mentioned, like the support network, would you say like kind of tying it back into like the Marine Corps training, would you say that, and you know, your Marine Corps training had any impact on how you overcome adversity in your life in your day to day life? I would absolutely say it, you know, it builds resilience to, cause you're pushed to your, your limit all the time in the Marines, especially during basic training. And to know that you can not only just get through it with like the bare minimum, but you can, you can thrive afterwards. Like that's a lesson in itself. So I just had to know that there was a light at the end of, at, at the end of the tunnel, no matter how long it may be. Cause again, you know, Marine Corps boot camps 12 weeks and then you're in training and the, you know they seem to be shorter amounts of time but for me this was my biggest struggle it was lasting years and it's like how am I ever gonna get out of it we put our nose to the grindstone and just worked our butts off you know we had to we had to slim down everything and you know not go out to eat and you know cut our budget and our expenses and just really focus on ourselves as a family 
And then the business started to pick up. We started booking more weddings. We started paying off our debts and we were really kind of climbing out of that. And we were almost out of it. And then COVID happened. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and then, yes. And then I lost 80% of my business overnight, pretty oh, much. God. So, How did you deal with that? Yeah, what did last... you do to get through? <clears throat> you, you know, the, the government, like both state and federal government, I think, are getting a lot of crap for these stimulus programs. You know, there's like, oh, it's free money and this and that, and the people don't deserve it. But I'm here to tell everybody, like, it's working for me, at least. It's it's helping me keep food on the table and take care of my kids because we really did lose pretty much everything. Um, my studio is, like, we we bought the building we were in, you know, three years ago because we, we were forced out of our, our other building. Like, again, when the fire was happening and all these other... Uh, debts were building up our landlord kept increasing our rent till it was threefold what we started with so we had to get the heck out of there and end up buying a building you know because you know it's just that's a whole other story in itself but we had all the the long story short is we had all these things that we need to take care of and the the programs out there are helping us and and we're getting through it little by little but you know, the stress is not there the way it was when my house burned up because back then I felt alone. I felt I had nobody to talk to. This is my problem. This is my fault. You know, like that's it. But now I I know that I'm not the only one struggling. There's restaurant industries that are out there struggling. There, you know, there's professional trainers. There's anybody who has hands-on contact with people, uh, you know, massage, therapists yeah, and you know absolutely. a lot of people out there a lot of entrepreneurs that are trying to do their thing and you know their businesses went from million billion dollar businesses to zero overnight mm. so we're all we're all in it together and that's really what's kind of helping me get through this but now that i know that i can go through this struggle and, and come out the other side for a lot of people this is their first time you know mm -hmm. going through, through this struggle like i'd already gone through it a couple of years ago now i know better but there's a lot of people out there that don't know any better. So I, I'm trying to get my message out there to let them know there's definitely help. There's definitely a way through this. We're all going to get through this. And just to keep on, keep that positive attitude. Because even if you have to fake it for a little bit, it it does help. You know, that's another one of my, my unwritten rules to myself is I'm not going to post anything negative on my social media. I'm not going to complain because, you know, nobody cares it's already a cesspool for the most part and it's not gonna make anything better so just yeah. try to keep positive now your your story is so inspirational because you know i have a lot of people on this you know show or this podcast and and you know who you know of course they have their own struggles um but like i've never met anyone who has had their house burnt down and you know their business you know, go under because of a pandemic in the same next breath um and it's not all rosy you know there's a lot of struggles and i think it's important that people know that they're not alone like you said and we can get through it together and to keep that positive mental you know mindset i think that's so important so thank you for sharing that i think you know it might it's so difficult for some people to be vulnerable and to reveal those kinds of things but i think it's really important that people know that that you know like i said you're not alone we can get through this right yeah and now what what is yeah. your, the, the what does your business look like now i mean are, with you know people starting to get vaccinated and businesses starting to open up are you seeing an uptick in your business as well 
A, a little bit. You know, I actually just got my second dose of the Moderna vaccine on Saturday. Right. And as we're recording this, I can, you know, I lift my, ar my left arm up and it still hurts me a bit. Yeah. It's really annoying. I, I hardly slept last night, but I'm, oh. you know, I'm still doing my pull-ups. <laughs> I did like 20 pull-ups yesterday. And, um, but yeah, the business side of things, it's, it's starting to pick up. Um, the wedding industry isn't turning around as fast as some people would imagine because they're all like, oh yeah, you know, everybody from last year is going to get married this year. And I'm like, nah, actually I had five cancellations in the last month. Um, I booked maybe two more weddings for next year, but I'm like, got to eat this year. Yeah. I got to eat this year and, and this uh, week today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. So right now, as far as like weddings go and in, in, in my perspective is, you know, couples are just still like, you know, it's not the amount of guests that we can have. Cause here in New York, I think we're allowed 125 guests and some people are like, I wanted 200 and, you know, I could cut it down to 125, but then we also got to wear masks and I, mm -hmm. it's not the experience I wanted to have. So we're just going to either cancel or postpone. Some people postponed some people that I've already had contracts with. They're like, we had, you know, the wedding last summer with a dozen of our closest family and we're just not going to, we're not going to have a big reception anymore. We're going to put a down payment on a house or something like that. You know, so there are people's mindsets are shifting and, um, the perception of the wedding industry, I think, is, is under a big change right now. But I'm still, I'm still booking stuff for like, you know, the local high schools. I'm doing some sports things. My graphic design background's really coming in handy right now. I'm doing composite portraits of uh, the sports teams. That's so great. I can shoot, yeah, I can, I can shoot every every student individually without their mask on, and then go in Photoshop and put together like these really nice composites. So it looks like the whole team's oh, together. That's so and, cool! Wow. Yeah, people are like, I didn't even know you could do that. I'm like. Bro, where you been for the last fifteen years? <laughs> Photoshop, bro. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So, well, how, like, I, you know, things are things are trickling in. I would love to get the word out about your business. Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about Malinsky Photography and your graphic design? That that's pretty much it. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, MalinskyPhotography.com. If you just put Malinsky Photography, M-O-L-I-N-S-K-I Photography with like no space. On any social media platform, you can find me. I mean, I got to be a good promoter. So if, if you can't find me, that's a problem. Let me know if you have a hard time finding me and I will fix it. I'm going to tag you when this airs. Uh, this is going to air on Wednesday, season two premiere. And uh, I'm going to tag your business and you. And do you have any saved rounds, as we like to say? Any saved rounds before we let you go? Uh, no, just, I just want to thank my wife, actually. Uh, again, for being there through thick and thin and for taking that awesome headshot I just sent you, Jenny, Absolutely. the one that just came out. Yeah, I dragged her. She was like, we had 30 minutes to go get our daughter from school <laughs> and stuff. And like, I'm throwing on the shirt and jacket. I'm like, quick, come outside right now. And like a rain cloud had just passed by and our son's like running around mayhem. And I'm like, just take some photos real quick. She's like, you look stressed in these photos. Aww. I'm like, all right, all right. I gotta think of something funny. Like, all right, you know, and it's, uh, we, we knocked out that, that headshot and, you know, I'm gonna say like 15 minutes. That's amazing. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I'm just blown away. By the way, hashtag relationship goals there because I think we all would be, appreciate a partner who's so supportive and always there for us and, you know, picking us up when we're down. So thank you to your wife as well like, for being there for you and keeping you on, you know, I don't know, just keeping you being a badass. Yeah, she puts up a lot with a lot of shit for me. So, <laughs> you know, 
more she puts up with more than she deserves let's put it that way i Aww. definitely owe her a lot well it takes a strong woman <laughs> to <Yeah>. be <laughs> i'm just kidding no i think that's great i'm really happy for you and i'm i'm you know sending well wishes for the business i'm you know put in some positive vibes for everything to so you get lots of weddings booked a lot of work and you know to continue on the journey that you're just doing so well on and you know, if you ever need any support, let me know. I'm always happy to repost um, any work that you have on Right Face Podcast. I love sharing the work of military and veteran creatives. And so thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been great going on this journey. I think it's kind of a roller coaster, actually. But I, I like roller coasters. So. <laughs> Yeah, wait till, wait till you're in the front seat with no uh, no safety strap on. That's oh, a different God. story. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't want that. Uh, I don't want to fall out yeah. on a roller coaster <laughs> and plummet to my death. But uh, this was, you know, quite the journey. And I'm excited to uh, share your story. And thank you again. And it was good to talk to you after so many years. And, uh, you know, just connect with a friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to talk again. As again, it's been too long. And you're doing so many great things. Again, I've been following you. So I appreciate you and what you've been doing, especially for the veteran community. So hats off to you, Jenny. Thanks for putting together this program. And uh, hopefully it becomes a good resource for many people out there, veterans and, you know, civilians alike. Thank you for listening to Right Face Podcast. Join us again next week as we feature another veteran creator. Follow us on social media at Right Face Podcast. You can also become a supporter by visiting anchor.fm slash rightfacepodcast slash support. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.